Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Our first speaker knows a thing or two about having a tough mentality. As a former NFL safety, he knows what it takes to be a high performer, not just on the gridiron, but in the boardroom. Brett Lockett is a leading business consultant, speaker, entrepreneur, and founder of High Stakes Training, an executive performance training platform to help high achievers perform in life and business, and a former NFL standout. And we're going to talk about everything on this show from Black Lives Matter to what it takes to be really tough and do the right things that you need to do in your business, both in mind, body, and soul. Welcome, Brett, to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. You got it. So let's talk a little bit about what did it, what did it take for you to make the transition from football to business, and what was the process? What you know, what was that like, and which was harder, by the way? You know what? It's 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 a lot easier to do something that you've been doing your entire life, right? For me, I've been playing sports my whole life, and so you know, it was just one progression step after another. And so once I I, I finished uh, playing and I, I finished on the Jets in 2013, I had to figure out what was the next steps. And the biggest human need that we all have is to be consistent with who we think we are. And for me, I thought I was, you know, this football player, this top NFL athlete. And so I had to really dig into who I was and what my identity was and where I wanted to go. And so that process in itself was a a game changer. Once I started to intrinsically figure out what motivates me and what gets me out of bed outside of just football. Yeah. So when you think about uh, business, one of the things that people say is fail fast. I like to say win fast. You know, we're always going to fail. There's no doubt about it. You know, we fail many times throughout business, and, but the key is to get to the win. But in football, you have more time to dwell on a loss, right, say than a baseball player. I mean, how were you able to deal with adversity on the field, and how did it help you deal with adversity in business? When you look at adversity on the field, there's no difference than, than being in business because when I played on the Patriots. I was on injured reserve three years in a row. So I tore my growing my first year. Second year, I come back. First two a day we have, I tear my pec out for the season. Third year, come back in the pre second preseason game. I'm running down against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and I tear my growing and my lower ab at the same time. And so you have to ask yourself, hey, how, why do I keep getting back up? Why do I keep doing this? And it really comes down to this thing that we all have, which is our standards. Right. And I and my standard was I wanted to become the best NFL safety that I could possibly be. And so I had my 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 mind made up that I was going to continue regardless of what circumstances came about. And so that's really the, the basis is what standards do you have in your life? What standards do you have in your business? Yeah. So when what's the most valuable lesson that football taught to you, taught you and and, and applying it to being an entrepreneur and being in business. What, what was that one lesson that was probably the biggest for you? That's a great question. In, 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 in football, we all like to say that, you know, well, at least I like to think being an NFL safety or former NFL safety is that defense wins championships. And that doesn't necessarily go towards business. So when we look at business, we can't, we can't play defense on business because if we're playing defense on business, that means we're 
competing with our competitors or we're, we're a step behind our competitors or we're doing an acquisition because we're getting blocked um, from maybe going into an emerging space. And so that's the, playing defense and business is timid. Um, you're not dictating your own strategy and you're not, re, um, you know, um, uh, allocating your resources appropriately. So when we really look at strategy and business, it's, it's one of the, the, the main components that we have to um, stay ahead of. And so being on offense is the best because it's very difficult to change your strategy and business. On the football field, we can do that in, 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 a, in a series, right? Go out on offense, doesn't work. We come back, we make adjustments. In business, okay, it's like an airplane. We're flying, okay, we can turn that thing around, but it's, we, we can't do it quickly and it's going to take a lot of time and effort and, and in business, that's money. Right. So in business, we have to be able to play offense and that's playing on our own timetables and leading and finding our own opportunities. And you, you talk a lot about tough mentality. And I think right now with everything that's going on with COVID and changing the models and doing something different, working from home, everything else, it's put people in some, you know, some tough situations. And you talk about having a tough mentality. How do we train our minds to get tougher in order to be better business leaders? The, the number one struggle that we all have when it comes to mindset is grit. And the difference that differentiates the elite performers from everybody else is how much we're willing to take and how much can we take before we give up. And so if we wanna increase our wherewithal, if we wanna increase what we're able to endure, then we have to lean in. And when we lean into the unknown, it's typically fear, right? And we look at, you know, from a psychological perspective, when we say, you know, when we see fear, or when we come up against something that we don't know if we can overcome, there's the, the human brain does three things. It either runs the other way, it freezes, or we lean in to the unknown. And so if you're an entrepreneur, whether, you know, you have your own business or you're running a large corporation, the more you lean in, the more your team leans in, the more you create a culture of individuals who accept that, accept that unknown, it's, it's a lot easier to start building that mindset. Yeah. You know, I talk about this all the time. Like I, I describe business, really great high performance businesses like being a football team. And I use football as an analogy, although I played uh, more competitive rugby because in the football, I got to tell you, you know, you're 40. I, how fast was your 40, by the way? It was 447. It wasn't, it wasn't that fast. Oh, shut up. 447. <laughs> you, you, you would measure my 40 with a calendar. Okay. I just want to point that out. Okay. Mine was plus five. And so, so I had to go play rugby, but I, but not everybody knows about rugby, but I use football as an analogy for a high performance team. And I always think of a high performance team is like when you come together in a huddle, everyone knows each other so well that you don't even almost have to say anything. And we'll have Tom up in a few minutes as a quarterback. He, he just looks at the receiver and say, and then winks. And th that, that means do that thing, you know, and it's kind of like that. How do you build that into the team? How do you get that kind of feeling? So when you're in the huddle, everybody, everybody knows, Hey, we know it's a pass, you know, Hey, Brett, don't blow it. Don't blow it. You know, they're coming to you. So how do you get that mentality in, into the, into the team like that? Well, when you talk about, you know, the other Tom that's coming on in a second, I know another Tom who uh, is now on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. His last name is Brady. And when you, when you get to the Patriots, and, I, and, and I, I started on the Browns, and I was picked up off a of practice squad on the Patriots. So what happened is they tried to put me on the practice squad. And the NFL, when that happens, they have to physically cut you. And when they cut you, another team can act, pick you up and bring you on the active roster. And that's exactly what happened. So I got to the Patriots, and it was night and day. And the culture there – 
was it didn't matter if you were first, second, or third string. You had a certain responsibility and there was an accountability that everyone had that I was going to do my job and I was going to do it well. And if, you, if you're familiar with Bill Belichick and you're familiar with any of his teachings, it's, it's do your job and do it to the, to the best of your extent. And so when you talk about creating a, a culture of accountability, ability, excuse me, ability, okay, it all starts with the behavior, behavior and attitude. Because if you behave the right way, you have the right attitude with how you're, you're going about your day to day, how you're going about your activities, it starts to create this culture of accountability. And that's really where you want all of your high performers to be. When you mentioned accountability, you've got to be able to have the discussion. So if someone misses a tackle, for instance, you get back in the huddle. Do you guys talk about that? I mean, I know you do. You got to have that accountability where I can say, hey, 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 Brett, what the hell, man? What the hell? You, you let the guy through. I mean, is it okay to have that kind of transparency in the teams? You, you have to if you want to go to the next level. It's yeah. the teams that don't talk about it. It's the teams that don't want to communicate. It's the team that's scared of talking about the, the thing that's going to get you to the next level that ends up falling apart, right? You can only hide things that aren't working for so long and then they come to light. That's in, that's in any situation, whether it's life, business, or relationships. And so when we look at businesses, when I'm getting involved and I'm being brought into businesses, the first thing that I want to look at is how does the executive team communicate? Because that's going to tell me exactly how the entire company is communicating. So when you have something as controversial, I'm going to throw this out because what the heck, you know, as the inflate gate or something like that. I mean, that really affects, I mean, it affects you all, right? It affects your, your, your bankability. It affects your credibility. It affects all that. How do you have those kinds of conversations? And do you get into conversations about values that say, hey, we're not doing that again? Or, or, or hey, I understand you did that and that's the way other people did it, but we're not doing it anymore. Do you have those kinds of conversations? Unfortunately, I wasn't on the team when, uh, you know, deflated. I got it. But if I, if I were on the team, the one thing yeah. that I can say that Bill and, and the Patriots are very good at is that internal issues stay internal. And great organizations understand, especially executive teams understand that, we need to keep our culture. Our culture is everything. We need to be able to maintain the efficacy of our culture and the integrity of our company. And so if there is a situation that happens that gets brought up in the media, we handle that internally. We'll obviously make some statements uh, you know, through PR and, and, and address that to the public, but we deal with that internally. And that's a conversation that you have amongst management to figure out exactly what it is that uh, we need to do to maintain the culture within our organization. You know, there's a lot of discussion going on right now about Black Lives Matter, without a question. I'm sure you've been caught up in that and certainly been affected by it in every way, shape, or form. What do you think, when, uh, what do you think about when, when, when companies, players, and then in essence it's players that are companies, you know, take a knee and do the things that you know, we've seen happen? What's, what goes through your head when that happens? What goes through my head today is the fact that now corporate America and every single large corporation, including the NFL, is now stepping back out to say that we acknowledge that we were wrong. But the fact that you acknowledge that you were wrong just means that you knew it was wrong in the first place and you did nothing about it. And so there becomes, there's a certain level of frustration, um, you know, not just for me being African-American, but just me being a, a person of ethics, a person of fairness, and a person that treats everybody exactly how I want to be treated, it, it almost, it's almost a slap in the face as to 
how are you really running your organization and, and how are you looking at your, at your, your, your players, your, your team, your owners? Um, how are you guys having these conversations and is it okay to, to, to do this? And, and we all know that it's not, but um, the fact that you're now admitting that it's not um, says a, a whole lot about um, the, 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 the background of who you are. Yeah, and I think it gets to your values and gets to what you're going to do. In fact, I'm coming out with a statement later today. A naming a chief diversity officer mm. <laughs> isn't a fix. Okay, mm. you know you got to do a lot more than that. So um, it's it's good to see companies doing it, but we got a hell of a lot longer a longer ways to go, and we can't tolerate it. And so I this gets into also the psychology of a peak performer. What is that? Because <laughs> I think you know in this discussion, I mean it's going to knock people off their blocks. And I, I, by the way, we didn't practice this ahead of time. We didn't talk about it. I sprung it on you, brother. So thank you for letting me do that. Because um, it's a tough, it's a tough subject, but Hey, it, we've got to talk about it. And, you know, and quite frankly, you can see I'm a white male. I got to listen to a hell of a lot more. Okay. I think I'm pretty good at it, but I'm nowhere close to where I need to be. And we got to take action. So I need to also in this issue, as well as with COVID, as well as just business, because it, it's hard anyway. What, what, is, what is the psychology of a peak performer? The, so what is a peak performer in, in essence, right? And, and yeah. I think we can all think of every single industry, whether it's business, we think of the Elon Musk, the Bill Gates, the Steve Jobs. When it's sports, we think about the Michael Jordans, the Kobe's, the Wayne Gretzky's. And it's essentially someone who is not just able to perform at a very high level for a few months for a year. I like to call those the dabblers, the people who get excited about what they do. They jump into it. They're, they're good for a few months and then it gets, it becomes difficult challenges slap them in the face. And then it's like, okay, do I really want to do this? And so when you look at a peak performer, it's someone who's able to sustain a certain uh, level of success. Usually the, the top 1% of whatever it is that they're doing, not just for a year or two years, but consistently over decades. And so when we look at how, how do we become a high performer, we have to start looking at the first step is, is our psychology, how we think. And the, the number one thing that differentiates a high performer from everyone else is a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. So when I say a growth mindset, I mean, when, you, when you're faced with a challenge, how do you look at that, at that challenge? Do you believe that your abilities are fixed or do you believe that your your abilities are based on your skill set. And if you develop new skills, you can now increase your ability. And so we look at that entirely. And so there's only three ways that we can really leverage what it is that we do, right? We only control three things. It's our body, it's our mind, and it's our craft. And so if we can focus on those three things, we can completely change how we play the game. So it's interesting, you, you use what you call high stakes training platform. We've got a big program coming up in about a week and a half called High Stakes. Uh, leadership forum. So I didn't even know the connection, but that's awesome when I read that in the notes today. But what, what are the tactics do you use at, at High Stakes Training Platform? So High Stakes is all about taking current abilities and expanding on those abilities and then learning certain tools and methods to be able to create, I like to call them new superpowers, right? We all have inherent gifts that sometimes we don't even know they exist. And so we really start at the, the, the ground, which is radical self-realization. And that's just understanding who we are, right? Mm -hmm. And once we can understand who we are, we now need to figure out what makes us tick. What are our passions? What is our purpose? Because passion plus purpose equals motivation. And so we go through this, this, this kind of, uh, I like to call it um, uh, stacking intrinsic motivation, 
and where we really unleash who it is that we are and what drives us. And then once we get through that, then we go through the science of goal setting. Um, we, we get into deliberate practice, understanding how to go to the next level, um, and then so on and so forth. So there's actually about eight different levels that we can go through, and then they're broken down individually based on um, the, the person. So what, what the specializing the training in high achievers, <laughs> what, what's and in, in making them become top performers, what's the difference? And how do you know if someone's a high achiever or not? You know, is it just because they say it or what, what is the difference? Well, we, we all got to know we, we're all playing for a certain uh, a, a certain way for, for a certain goal. And so yeah. my my success isn't your success. Right. Why I'm playing this thing we call life isn't the same reason why you're playing it. And so we really got to understand. Well, we've already established that by your speed already is a lot Absolutely. faster than my speed, right? <laughs> we already established that. Just a little bit. I'm telling you, you're, you're, you're literally three steps away from where I'm at. Yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, those steps are really far apart, brother, really far apart. But I thank you. Thank you for encouraging me. But yeah, talk to me some more about that. How do I know someone's a real high achiever? I mean, I can, in business, a lot of times I can see that but are there specific things that I can measure that I would say, hey, this, yeah, this, this, this dude's got it or this gal's got it as opposed to somebody else? Sure. Uh, so when you look at high achievers across the board, they, they're, they're more clear than anybody else. So measuring clarity is, is, is a big one. Um, understanding uh, their energy levels. There's a lot of people that operate at a very high level, but when you look at it, they do that as a sacrifice. They're sacrificing their body. They're not getting enough rest. They're not exercising. They're not eating the right way. So understanding what their energy levels like. And so I actually take some of my clients through um, um, certain uh, medical tests that I, I, I have partnerships with certain doctors and we'll actually go through medical tests to leverage their biology and understand exactly what's making them take versus what's not, right? Understanding how to have an active protocol where we're recovering. Uh, a lot of entrepreneurs don't recover the right way, right? There's passive and active ways to recover. Um, also, looking at skill set, right? So being able to balance uh, work, life, uh, and everything else in between that. Um, so there's, there's a few different methods to be able to measure that. Um, another one is productivity, right? Measuring output versus time. A lot of times we look at what, what time, how much time it takes us to do something instead of saying, we have this set amount of time. Now, how, how can we focus on the output here? And so tying that all into um, one big kind of barometer really tells you exactly how this high performer is or this entrepreneur or this executive is operating. The last thing I will say is influence. Influence is really the number one indi indicator of how that performer or how that executive is, is performing at a high level. You, you mentioned influence. I think that's really cool because my next question to you is, look, hey, look, you were, you know, you were top dog. I mean, you're, you're a pro player, you know, you're a safety, you, you look good, you dress good, all that stuff. You're a pro and, and now you're going into business for yourself. Was that like a rude awakening for you a little bit in terms of from here to here? And then you almost have to kind of start over. What were the things that were the best things for you to kind of make that transition? Yeah, no, I, I exactly what you just said. I had to start over. There wasn't, you know, if you had to start over, you will always have to start over in this transition from going from one place to the next. And one of the reasons why a lot of uh, people, especially in business, aren't successful in their next venture is because once they've reached a certain level of success, they don't want to go back and do the things that, you know, the employee had to do or, you know, the, the, the youth sports guy had to do when he was, you know, back in the Pop Warner days. And 
we, we got to understand if we're going into a new industry, we have to start from ground zero. Um, and that's actually funny because that's one of the names of, of, of my programs is ground zero because we have to start at our core in order to create that explosion in our life. And so for me, I had to pretty much go back and look at everything I was doing. I was working on some, some opportunities when I was playing football. I, you know, was investing, I invested in a couple of companies. I had a very a, a core group of individuals that, um, that I was working with. And so I leaned on them when I was done to accelerate where, where I was then to where I'm at today. So there was a lot of personal development, a lot of research, a lot of podcasts. I went back to school. I finished my, my degree at UCLA, currently getting my MBA. Um, so just constantly pushing and pushing and pushing, understanding that it's the same concept when you're playing football, right? It's all about the time that you're putting, the dedicated and deliberate time that you're putting into your practice to get you to that next level. I'm going to ask one last question. I'm going to turn it back over to Trish so that we can get it out questions to the, to the, all the folks that are on the program today. So what was something that helped you? What were you, what, what's been the most helpful for you to make the transition into a thought leader, into a coach in essence, uh, you know, teaching other people high performance uh, and, and to, to achieve the levels that they need to achieve. What is it? What, what's been the best thing for you? Has it been, uh, you know, getting on podcasts? Is it writing articles? Is it, you know, becoming more of a business celebrity. What What are the things that have been the best things for you to do to get you to the point you're at now? Well, a lot of times we look externally at what we can do in order to get to where we want to be. And the number one thing that changed was when I decided that this is what I wanted to do and I wanted to do it at a high level. And so with that decision comes the confidence to start taking these steps. So you asked kind of a tactical question. What are the right tactics to become a thought leader or become an influencer? And for every single individual, it's a little bit different. Um, you can hone in on podcasts and you can podcast your way to the top. Um, you can hone in on, on social media, depending on the platform. There's several different tactics, but really the, the, the decision of, of, of deciding that this is what I want to do and I'm going to um, and I'm not going to stop until I get there is really the ultimate factor. A, a, a content always is and being genuine, being real, doing that. I used to tell people all the time when I was the Eastman Kodak, when we were trying to make the digital plunge, you know, make the transition to digital business. I said, mm -hmm. folks, if we suck offline, we're going to suck online. So <laughs> let's, how about we fix that part first? And that's exactly what you said. Hey, you know, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. You know, if people say, hey, how to be a great speaker, how to be a great thought leader, be great. That's how it is. You got to be great. And you got to start with you first. Brett, yeah. thanks so much. At the end of every show, I like to talk about what I have learned. But don't forget, coming up right after this uh, moment, I've got Tom Flick, a former NFL quarterback, and he'll be talking about high achievers and high performance and leadership. But I'll tell you what I learned from Brett today. It's when we got into the discussion about Black Lives Matter, I wasn't going to – I sprung it on him. I didn't talk to him about it ahead of time. I just thought we'd get into it. And you know what he said? You know, and this is my big learning, just because you say you're wrong or just because you apologize, that doesn't make it right because you knew it was wrong. And now you give, we give you a little credit for it, but it's what you're going to do next to implement to achieve, to excel, to move beyond. It's your actions that are going to show me that you're right. So don't just talk about it. Go do it and put it, put it in play. All right? That's what I learned right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett on C-Suite Radio. Don't forget, tell your friends. C-Suite Radio.
Our next speaker is also an NFL vet. Tom Flick is a former quarterback drafted by the Washington Redskins in the fourth round of the 1981 NFL draft. Has also successfully transitioned from an athlete to an elite performer and an elite thinker. In fact, we're going to talk about some really tough leadership decisions in our upcoming podcast interview, but we talk about what sports lessons can we apply to business? How can we make better decisions that allow us to follow the playbook? And what happens when the play breaks down? Tom, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. Jeffrey, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me, and I enjoyed Brent, so uh, it's been it's been a pleasure. It is good. It's always good to get different perspectives, even from those defense guys, because I used to be an offensive guy. You know, I was a center, okay? I was a center, not just because I was slow, but because I had a really wide you-know-what, and that probably helped protect the quarterback as well. So, hey, as a former quarterback, uh, do you think it, it was made easier for you to make snap decisions? I like the way I worked that in there, snap decisions. Do you think because you were the quarterback where you're at, it's helped you more to be a better business person? I think just playing the sport of uh, football has helped me become a better business person. I don't speak a tremendous amount about football when I address uh, organizations, but certainly there's no game like football. It's a complete team sport. Baseball, you can have a pitcher throw a shutout. You can have Michael Jordan drop 45 on you, and they could lead the team. But in football, all 11 guys at that particular play have to execute. So football is a unique sport. And I think there's a lot of things that transition over into, into the business world that are really effective and efficient. So what do you think is better, football, baseball, basketball, soccer? When you think about team sports, which one do you think is better? I think football, I think by far and away. Um, it, it's just a you just you can have a guy twitch, the offensive guard twitch on a play, and it's a penalty and you go backwards, you know. So it's 11 guys working together. The numbers make it more complex. The game is not only violent, it's very fast. It's, uh, it's not long drawn out. It's six seconds of play. And so it creates a tremendous amount of competition. Um, all the senses of the body have to be on, on point. The mind's got to be working right. So uh, I football by far and away. Let me ask you a personal question. If you hadn't have played football, what would you have done in that time period that you were playing football? And where do you think it would have lead you versus today? Yeah, who knows, Jeffrey? Gosh, you know, I was a better baseball player than I was a football player. Um, I just love football more. And uh, who knows? I know that, you know, I was, I was traded my second year in the league. So I knew instantaneously the moment I found out I was traded that this is a, a short-lived experience. Mm-hmm. And so I played an additional six years. But, uh, you know, I knew that it's, you're not there for long. And that's kind of what NFL stands for. Yeah, not that. that's, that's true. So it change is hard for everyone. You know, it, it's tough. And we've been going through a lot of change here lo- lately. And I think this country's due for a lot more change when it comes to a lot of other issues. So what are the dynamics of change that everyone should understand in order to evaluate their own leadership styles? Well, great question. You know, since I've been a young kid, I've loved the, the topic of leadership. And um you know, I, t- I told my father, I said, Dad, you know, I get in a huddle when I was like an eighth grader. I said, Dad, 10, 10 faces are looking at me and they, they want to know something. They want to be inspired and they want to be led. And I think with the ever increasing rates of change that we have now in America, how fast competition is, we're globalized. Um, it's this leadership versus management distinction that I think is really critical to understand. And people might think that's not 
that big of a deal, but actually it is when you come to realize the research has found out that we're overmanaged and underled by a factor of almost four to one in corporate America. So, you know, it's tough staying going 40 miles an hour when your competition's going 80. And mm. the reason why that is, is because of leadership. And I think the leadership and management distinction is because the default setting in our brains is essentially management, if you think about it. Uh, we manage just about everything. We manage our diet, our calendar, our workflow, our exercise. We manage, manage, manage. We really have developed managerial mindsets over the last century. And the reason that is, is because an entrepreneur or a leader or an inventor creates uh, a product and he, he, they build that product to a point where they can start a business. There's interest in that business. So you need managers to go ahead and run the business. Mm -hmm. If you look at the educational systems here and in Europe, uh, predominantly over the last century, it's been management driven. Um, management is an amazing set of actions and behaviors. Uh, it's given us the modern day corporation. Um, it's budgeting, staffing, controlling, planning, smart problem solving. Uh, Henry Ford did us an amazing favor by perfecting management, but there's a, there's a rub. Uh, there's a problem and that is that management doesn't move us forward simply because that's not its job. Uh, management's job is to take complexity and make it simple or make it repeatable. Where leadership is wholly different. Leadership is about speed and agility. Leadership is vision and strategy, it's communicating vision and strategy, it's motivating action, uh, it's creating buy-in, it's inspiring people. And so essentially leadership is taking complex systems and people and creating innovation opportunities and growth where management is taking complex systems and people and making them run like they're intended to run hour after hour, day after day, efficiently and effectively. And that is what causes speed uh, was leadership creates uh, agility and speed where management keeps things the same. It creates status quo, essentially. And so I think understanding that distinction, because most uh, senior leaders that I work with are stuck in management. They'll use management speak. Uh, they'll talk about uh, controlling instead of aligning. They'll talk about planning instead of visioning. And that's a huge distinction. And it makes a real big difference on where your company's going and how fast you can get there. Well, and it slows, as you mentioned, it just slows down that acceleration because Absolutely. you've got yes. to wait for everybody else to catch up, you know, because there are a lot of people who are visionaries. You talk about Elon Musk. I, I like to think of myself as a person who thinks like that. And I sometimes have to wait for everybody to catch up. But thank goodness you've got a great team behind you who know how to, to clean up after guys like myself. You mentioned leadership. Who are the people that you look to for inspiration as leaders? Do you go, Wow, that is a great leader. Uh, who are those people? You know, that's a great question. I, I, I observe leaders. I've always paid attention to who leaders. I think, first of all, leaders that I've admired, and I think if, you know, the listeners with us today, if they stop and thought about it, who do you really appreciate and enjoy as a leader? Is leaders speak differently than the average person? Um, they use different language. I call it the leader's voice. Yeah. A leader's voice is something that can rise above a, a bad year or shareholder pressure or a difficult economy. It typically talks about uh, courage, um, you know, a better future, a better way to get there. How they speak is a huge indicator of leaders. You can go back to Lincoln. You talk about leaders that I love. Lincoln, I think the greatest president in the history oh. of a great nation. Um, you talk about Winston Churchill, who after the Normandy uh, challenge, or um, getting all the soldiers and troops off the beaches um, 
and uh, and how he spoke about you know we'll fight on the beaches we'll fight in the landings we'll fight in the sea we'll never 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 give up yeah. um so there's a lot of different ways but how you speak is really critically important and i find people that do that and i find there's there's a whimsy to speakers there's kind of a winsomeness to them there's there's a great sense of humility i think in great leaders and humility doesn't mean that they're weak or quiet or reserved uh, they just they have a sense of being lifelong learners they're interested uh, they think more about others than they think about themselves i think which is the main point of being a humble leader and so really i'm kind of uh the robert greenlee servant leadership model mm -hmm. believer i think the higher you go up in the hierarchy of an organization the more you come underneath people to lift them up so they can achieve their goals for your reasons or for the company's reasons. So well, you, you just talked about our hero club right there. And it's in its essence really. about being able to not be heroes because nobody wakes up every morning and says, Oh, I want to be a hero, but you want to run great hero organizations made up of great heroes. And that's really true because the more you give, the more you get without question, which I thank you. And thank you for bringing that. And that, that kind of leads me to the next point. Um, you talk about engaging the heart in leadership and so i want to talk about what does that mean because i i when i read that i went and looked at some of your work and i went wow spot on spot on especially in today's climate and the way in which we have to look at it, especially with leaders who you know quite frankly are taking a hundred times a thousand times salaries of yeah. people that are working for them and to me there just seems to be a disconnect so let's talk about leadership engaging the heart well, Jeffrey, you know, every time I speak to a, to a company, I, I find about 80% of the time they make it an intellectual exercise. I typically follow a CEO or a president who starts the conference off and has some words of uh, information and advice and wants to communicate kind of the state of the company or, or where we're going. But it's an intellectual exercise. It's all about ROI and metrics and analytics, which is really important. It makes a lot of sense. It's highly, hugely valuable. But when you gather a group of people together, um, whether you want to be the world's greatest bank, the most compassionate hospital, the most uh, service-oriented hotel, feelings are actually more influential than thought when it comes to affecting change. And so yeah. what we need to do is we need to appeal to the head, but we also more than that need to appeal to the heart. Uh, we're, we're, we need to invite people into the adventure. <clears throat> and I'm a big believer of uh, leading from the middle. I think great organizations, great leaders, what they do is they'll drive leadership down through the organization so more people can lead. And I think the simple reason why is the world is moving so fast and competition is so keen that no longer can one senior leadership team lead the change alone. We need to drive that leadership down through the organization. And the way that we do that is we empower people to lead. And um, <clears throat> excuse me for my voice here. I've been speaking a lot on these. Uh, we're doing a lot of them. I mean, we're doing a lot of Zoom meetings. So I, yeah. you know, this is my third or fourth one today. And so, yeah, my voice is going too. I apologize for that. But, you know, what we fail to do is we fail to invite people into the great adventure where we're going. Uh, we don't have enough leaders saying, hey, we need your discretionary effort. We need your talent. We need your skills. Here's where we're going. Here's where we need you. Let's go together. They just don't do that. And so, uh, again, that's that managerial mindset that gets us stuck. And so you get a lot of people who should be leading are actually standing around waiting to be told what to do. And so it's, it's a challenge and uh, engaging the head and heart is the greatest way to move people's behaviors. So it's interesting, uh, Edith just dropped a comment, says change is an emotional process, not only intellectual. You know, Absolutely. we like to think you can look at the numbers on the paper and uh, having spoken 
Um, you know, I once had to lead a team that laid off 8,500 people. You can look at the numbers. They make sense, but you got to understand, you know, we are in, uh, impacting people's lives. Absolutely. You, you know, uh, Tom, Tom, as I'm sitting here listening to you, you don't sound like a football player. You know, <laughs> and I don't mean that to be derogatory. I mean that to be very enlightening. I mean, you sound like a real deep thinker. I mean, did you always have that? Or is this a, a critical skill or a, um, something you've kind of learned as you've, as you've gotten older and more experienced or what? You know, Jeffrey, when I, when I was a kid and, and playing quarterback, I think what I liked is, you know, the job of a quarterback, if you broke it down, was to, um, is to, is to energize people. You know, it's, it's really you get inside of a huddle. If you think about it, you got a left tackle, just play a hypothetical with me. Uh, a guy, a left tackle, gets out of a stance late and he gets, you know, the, tack, the defensive end sacks the quarterback. The running back misses the read and gets stuffed. Receiver drops a pass. QB sells the ball over someone's head. And you get into a huddle of 10 men who are black, white, uh, different socioeconomic backgrounds, belief systems, experiences, and yet we're bonded together by the color of a uniform and, and the mascot name that we play for. And the job of a quarterback is to step into a huddle. And I got to tell you, these 10 guys are waiting for it. They're expecting it, and they're expecting you to focus their energy. And that's the job of a quarterback for one simple purpose. It's to win the next play. It's not to win three plays down the road. It's just to win one play at a time. Because great leaders and great teams stack one winning play on top of another winning play on top of another winning play. So I've always had this desire to learn. I've just been a voracious lifelong learner and book reader. And I was blessed by having uh, Dr. John Cotter, the Harvard professor from Harvard University, considered the world's foremost authority on change leadership, uh, reach out to my business partner and I about 14 years ago, 12, 13 years ago. And he said, you guys are doing things that I write about. Uh, you're leading teams and developing teams and, and uh, working with organizations. Would you come back to Cambridge and tell me how you do it. And my partner, Dennis, went back to do that. And that eventually started Cotter International, a boutique uh, consulting firm. Uh, Dennis became the executive vice president. And so I have a, kind of an association partnership with them. And uh, the long um, work goes to Cotter International. But anyway, to long story short, I'm sorry, I'm rambling. But yeah, I do. I, I'm constantly, and I get to, the, I, what I love about when I work with organizations, I'm working with senior leaders, and I love to delve in why? How does that happen? How does that function? How did you get here? How did that culture start? Mm -hmm. And that's the only way can, you know, to find the pain is to figure out how to then solve it. But I've just, I've been a steward and uh, a heavily researching leadership, and I, I love it. And that's, that's why I do it. It's a calling. Well, it's a great definition of that quarterback and being a leader. And that relates to being a CEO. It relates to being any officer in the C-suite. So many times I've said, I remember at Eastman Kodak, we're going through horrendous change. I mean, we think about what we're going through now, but imagine, you know, you got a company in its height going to the worst. And and to be able to, to make that change, I would look around and go, man, this place is screwed up. You know, we got to do something. And I looked around and I went, oh, that's me. That's me. You know, you have, first you have to have, don't you have to first have the realization that you're the quarterback, that you're the leader? You have to have that realization? Yeah, absolutely. You have to step into it. And it's not an easy position. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of love. And, uh, but the challenge that you find is, or organizations have a difficult time changing, Jeffrey, is they fall into a subconscious behavior called complacency. 
Uh, complacency is this uh, sleepy, steadfast contentment with the status quo. Essentially what it's saying and people say to themselves is what I'm doing is just fine. And it's based on past success mm. or anecdotal success or historical success. I've, I've walked into companies and SWOT analysis uh, shared with the senior leadership where I found pockets of complacency. It's fascinating to hear them give me Ivy League educated responses why they're not complacent. And if you come up to someone who's complacent and share that with them, they'll sit there and give you intellectual assent and say in their mind while you're talking to them, they'll say, no, I'm not complacent. You are. Yeah. Well, yeah. That department is over there. You know, I'm fine just the way that I am. And so complacency is an amazing thing. Now, the interesting thing about complacency is it's not malicious. It's not intentional. It has nothing to do with laziness. It's just where the brain goes when we have been successful. And so we get stuck in this. And if it's not complacency, and what we're probably experiencing more of lately is what we call false urgency. False urgency is based on fear, uh, anxiety, and typically what upper management's making us do that's beyond, excuse me, beyond kind of what our expectations are. We're, we're not tied into the vision. We're not clear about things. And so there's a lot of activity, not a lot of productivity. We're moving really fast, toing and froing. We're staying in our foxholes. We're shooting off emails to defend ourselves. And uh, those two things, complacency and false urgency, prevent organizations from really moving to the thing that allows them to move forward, which is what we call true urgency. And, uh, and so that's the challenge. That's the biggest challenge for almost all organizations are those two things. Let me, um, I want to ask you one last question before we turn it over to the, the audience um, on more questions that they want to know specifically. Have you ever doubted yourself as a leader or as a, or as a quarterback? Did you ever sit there and listen to voices? And, uh, and then how did you, and if you, I'm assuming yes, yes, the answer Absolutely. is yes, of course. But, but then what do you do to get rid of those? You know, you, you can't, I, yeah, I have. I certainly have. I remember uh, Dan Fouts. Uh, I backed up Fouts in San Diego. And by the way, I played on five NFL teams. I like to think I played on the teams that made it possible for all the other ones to go to the Super Bowl. So it's um, <laughs> a great way of thinking about it. Really bad teams. And, <laughs> but I was with San Diego and I loved it. I loved Dan and I was backing him up in the, about uh, four hours before kickoff. And you don't get any snaps as a backup quarterback. Uh, he had fluid on the knee and, and had, had to, he, he was a scratch and, you know, you're in and it's a Monday night football game. And uh, you talk about the demons uh, oh, yeah. you know, floating around in your head and heart. And it's tough. It really, truly is. And, and you know, I think as I've grown and matured, uh, I have a faith. I believe in, I, I walk uh, with a Savior, uh, Christ. And so uh, what I learned about that was, and prior to that, I thought the world revolved around me. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you would have met me, you would have thought I'm a good guy. I was raised by great parents. I knew manners and courtesy and how to be kind. But still, I, there was an inner part of my heart that said, it's, it's all about me. It's, it's my world and what, how it benefits me. And when I made that transition and stepped out in faith, I realized, you know, it never was. It's always about other people. And what a privilege to serve and to care and to take care of people. And I just, I think when you find really where you are in the world, when you've really settled yourself and, and locked in and anchored yourself to something that's bigger than yourself, I think then you have a chance to go out and lead better. You have a chance to really know where you're at. And if those outside voices start to dissipate and go away. As we said with Brad and with you, whenever you have that, I, the great leaders I know have a real good sense of who they are. 
yeah. in themselves. And, you know, those that are more self-centered, typically not. But once you get to that place, that calm place, that, yeah. that centered self, it's a great place to be. You know, I've had people come to me and say, Jeff, don't you listen to those little voices in your head? I said, I stopped listening to those a long time ago, yeah. right? They're always going to be there. And this is a great example of this, again, to be able to share. So I want to thank you very much. And thank you for sharing. And, and, and thank you for being, one, vulnerable and transparent with us today. I, I really appreciate that. I appreciate you, Jeffrey. Thanks for having me. Have a, have a wonderful time. Hey, at the end of every interview, I like to talk about what I learned. I'll tell you what it was. You know, I said it right there in the interview. He did not sound like a football player. I mean, you think a football player has a certain look and feel and talk, you know, maybe a little strut, a little cockiness sometimes. So, you know what I, I learned again today? Don't judge a book by its cover. You know, take the time to read it. Take the time to open it. Take the time to listen. That's what we should be doing more of these days with all this restlessness that's going on. Take the time to open your ears and shut your fly trap. Okay. That's what I learned right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. Don't forget to tell your friends. Can't wait for you to know about the other shows right here on C-Suite Radio. This is Jeffrey Hazel with All Business. Thanks so much. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. .com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.